Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. At his Mass on February 28th, Pope Francis caused a bit of a stir when he suggested that priests should accompany people whose marriages are failing. This was unusual, not quite obvious in its meaning. His exact statement was, and I quote, Do not condemn, walk with them, and don't practice casuistry on their situation. End of quote. Well, I, I don't know, but I was immediately reminded of the Lord's rebuke to those who would accuse a certain woman for her alleged sin. When he had successfully diffused the situation and the woman's accusers had skulked away, he said to the woman, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And then there was that new word that the Pope used, for me anyway. Did you notice it? I do not recall ever having heard or seen that word before. I might have but I just did not recall it. So I looked it up. Casuistry. Casuistry. The Pope told the priests not to practice casuistry with the issues involved in some people's broken marriages. Casuity means, I discovered, a resolving of specific cases of conscience, duty, or conduct through interpretation of ethical principles or religious doctrine. Well, let me say that all again, slowly a resolving of specific cases of conscience, duty, or conduct through interpretation of ethical principles or religious doctrine. Rather, he said, priests were to walk with the struggling parishioners. Come alongside them. Help them through this rough time, he was saying. Be a paraclete, like the Holy Spirit. Comfort and share Christ's love and compassion on and with them. Try to assist them through and hopefully bring them to a better outcome. Do not use the situation to preach or cajole or to use the situation to make a point of theology or make a moral judgment. I found I liked that word, casuistry. It held a lot of pregnant meaning, I thought, and we could all use the message that it conveys at times, can't we? We see. 
Casuistry. Maybe it was a new word to add to your vocabulary too. It's a fine word, I think, one that now it's in our memory banks and its definition lodged in our psyche, as complicated as it was, we can make use of it as a guide in our future personal deliberations. And since it is now stored away, the Holy Spirit can bring it to mind whenever a situation presents itself to us in the future that is apropos. The great paraclete has given new responsibilities and possibilities to help us to grow and to be more like our Lord. We are also now better equipped for future opportunities, thanks to Pope Francis and his choice of a word that was new to my vocabulary, and I've now shared it with you. Why would you, the God of greatness, simply love someone like me? And how could you, so pure and perfect, know my thoughts, yet meet my needs? I'll never know or understand just what you see in me my mind is amazed to think your plans include me for eternity it must be must be
And now with his message for this Lord's Day, here's Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I trust that you mothers have had a blessed Mother's Day and that your children truly rose up and called you blessed. And in fact, are doing so today as well. Now last time we started a series of messages on what we have called Marriage is Divine Purpose and Devilish Perversion. We propose that the overall divine purpose of marriage is to reveal what God is like and to provide personal fulfillment for husband and wife. We started our series by dealing with the first part of this proposition. The overall divine purpose of the marriage is to reveal what God is like. Here, we pointed out several basic truths and principles from the Word of God. First, Genesis 1.27 tells us that God created mankind as male and female. Second, He created a sexual distinction or even polarization of the sexes or genders within the nature and essence of a created unity, which is the foundation and background for the marriage relationship. The third, it is this distinction and polarization of the sexes and genders within the unity of mankind, which in what Paul calls a mysterious way, portrays the image of God. Thus, marriage is divinely designed to show and reflect what God is like in his nature, in his essence. This sacred union is to practically reveal, and we can say also pragmatically, reveal the very essence of a triune God. This is a lofty purpose for marriage, my friends. Thus, we also saw that marriage is not only designed to reveal or manifest the diversity within the Godhead, but it is also designed to portray the unity or oneness of the Godhead. Mankind is a bi-unity made up of male and female, two distinct and separate persons. God is a triunity made up of three distinct and separate persons. So there is unity within the diversity of the Godhead. There is also unity within the diversity of a marriage relationship. In other words, to emphasize what we have concluded so far, it is a unity in a plurality or diversity. Like the members of the Godhead, husband and wife are one. This has tremendous implications as to how husband and wife are to relate to one another in order to fulfill God's divine purpose for marriage. We'll indicate some of these as we proceed in our series of messages. But another important truth, this divine creation order alliance was a holy one because it was God himself who brought the bride to the bridegroom. God brought Eve to Adam. There was nothing secret in this relationship. There was no intimidation, nothing that needed excuse. Verse 25 of Genesis chapter 2 says, They felt no shame, no mask, no pretense. It was a holy matrimony. It was also a thrilling event as well. Adam said, 
This is now bone of my bones, in verse 23. Now when he said this, he was exalting in God's unique, enchanting, divine handiwork that he saw in Eve. A person just like him, but also very much different from him. By God's standard, the resulting family union is the unique one then, a new thing on earth. Neither spouse is merely grafted onto the other's family. While they may try to maintain close and cordial relationship with the in-laws, their cleaving as a couple is also a leaving as well. Verse 24 clearly states this. It says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and that's a strong word in the Hebrew, shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. End of quote. They are now answerable to God, not to their parents. Finally, as we saw, this new family is to be lasting or permanent. Now, one flesh means a new kind of intimacy. It also suggests kinship, being each other's flesh and blood, as it were. This is a new kind of family that is created. This is why, for instance, in the Old Testament, remarriage to a former spouse who had been divorced and wanted to remarry her first husband or her husband to marry his first wife was prohibited. It would be an incestuous marriage which was really prohibited by the Mosaic law. This emphasizes the one flesh union that comes about as a result of marriage. But third, Marriage is meant to portray the equality of the persons of the Godhead in spite of an essential and inherited diversity of function and corresponding authority. The marriage relationship is a union of equals, not a master-slave or servant-master relationship. It is one of equals, but with different functions or role. We'll talk more about this later as well. But fourth, Marriage is meant to portray the creative power of the Godhead. Male and female are given the power of procreation in Genesis 1.28. And also, Paul talks about this in 1 Peter 3.7. But the writer of the book of Hebrews says this should only be done within the context of the marriage relationship. Hear the word of God as I read these verses. Genesis 1.28. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, over the bird of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on earth. That is the mandate given to them in the garden. Now notice what Peter has to say about this in First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. The same way you husbands must give honor to your wives, Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will be answered. As we get into this passage later, we'll see the weaker here has nothing to do with physical strength, but perhaps more with worth. And perhaps a good word of describing this weaker is fragile. She's more fragile. 
that she's an equal partner in God's gift of new life. In other words, a male cannot have a child by himself, a female cannot have a child by herself. If there's one place where male and female is equal, it's in the procreation of children. But now listen to Hebrews 13.4. Give honor to your marriage. Remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. End of quote. Marriage is a holy and a sanctified relationship. And children should only be born to parents who are united in this marriage relationship. But more about this later. And as the objective of procreation is to assure and demonstrate God's rulership and sovereignty over creation. Parenthood, therefore, is emphasized in this context. Parents are to rule over their children the same way God rules over his creatures, is the idea. Children, therefore, are an essential part of the marriage relationship and as a major aspect of demonstrating the equality of the sexes, the husband and wife, as Peter brings out in 1 Peter 3.7. Parenthood is to show what God is like, and it takes both male and female to do this properly. In fact, it can only be done through male and female. Whenever one is missing, the true nature and character of God, what he is like, cannot be fully manifested because his characteristic, his attribute of procreation can only be demonstrated in the relationship of male and female, not by male and male or female and female. This is why the marriage relationship must be seen as a relationship which differs from all other earthly relationships. It eliminates and makes both unnatural and unholy sexual intercourse outside of marriage. Those which by their very nature cannot produce children, such as the act of sodomy or the so-called homosexuality or lesbian lifestyle. This is absolutely contrary to the design and purpose of God for marriage. The drive, I say therefore, for the legality of the same-sex marriage from a biblical perspective is a perversion of God's established order of the sexes and a distortion of the image of God in man. Friends, this is not a light issue. This one that goes into the very heart of who God is and what he is doing on the face of this earth. Now, this is an important area, so we're going to take time in this in later message. Next time, Lord willing, we will look at the second major purpose for godly marriage, which is to provide personal fulfillment for husband and wife. But our time is gone for the day, and we will bring this issue up again when we talk about how important it is for us to understand that marriage is designed by God because of who he is and for what he is doing in the world today is only to be between a male and a female. And marriage is to demonstrate what God is like in his oneness as well as in his unity, but also in his role as father, as ruler. 
God wants us to show what he is like in our marriage relationship. But there's also a focus on us as individuals, husband and wife. And so next time, we're going to be looking at the second major purpose for godly marriages given in Scripture. And that is, my friends, in order to provide personal fulfillment for husband and wife. So I say to mothers now, as you still are celebrating, I'm sure, the beautiful effects of Mother's Day, be blessed as your husband and children continue to rise up and call you blessed. As always, this is Pastor Lee, Senior Pastor Emeritus, saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again, I am listening every moment, for the mighty trumpet sound, what a time we'll have together, when the saints shall leave the ground, and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again